everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 113, listener feedback number six. We're back. I hope you missed us. We missed you. Uh, last week, episode 112 slash 39 was a rebroadcast of one of our favorite shows while I was away on vacation. Um, but that had an uh, an unintended bonus of the being away for two weeks. I had a double stack of listener feedback that piled up in the old email box, uh, enough that we can now have a listener feedback show. And uh, Awesome. With me, as always, to do that are the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. Hello, everyone out there in internet land. How are we this weekend? And the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hi, Seth. Hey, Mark, and welcome to the Element Opiite Faithful. And uh, as you're going to see a little later on, um, I've been remiss in saying my name is Mark. Uh, you guys always call you say <laughs> you call you talk to me anyway. We'll get there. I'm jumping ahead of things. So uh, I was away last week. I was uh, this time last week, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I was. A, a, I was a member of the Walking Dead crew. I was a zombie recovering from about 10 hours in the park, uh, the Magic Kingdom uh, Disney Park uh, on, you know, southern Florida heat of the day. We got there at 10 a.m. We, le- we left there about uh, 8 p.m. Oh, my gosh. I was so tired. I was so sore. But, hey, we had a good time. That's what it's all about. So in sure is. we were gone seven days total. So we left Saturday, we came back Saturday. And in that time, uh, we drove from Atlanta to uh, Orlando, which is about 500 miles. Then drove uh, from Orlando to Clearwater, Florida, which is about uh, 70 miles. Uh, and, and then also drove from, from Orlando to Daytona Beach, which is about 65 miles. And back all, all at different times. So we did two days in, in Disney parks, a day at Clearwater, two more days at Disney parks, a day at to- Daytona Beach, and then we came home. So, my gosh, we packed a lot into a short time. Um, wow. And I'm a little crispy. I don't Sounds get sunburned. Like I'm a very dark-skinned individual. I don't get sunburned. But Daytona Beach burned the crap out of me. I'm crispy. <laughs> well, you don't look very red, Mark, so that's a good thing. Well, thank you. I, uh, there's, if those of you watching the stream, which is like none of you, uh, I'm wearing a hat tonight because I literally haven't even gotten out of, uh, gotten out of hairbrush today. I rolled out of, we, we skipped church. We were just so exhausted. I rolled out of bed. I'm wearing like a, a t-shirt and sweats and I put a hat on to do the show. It was, it's been, this is, this is the vacation from my vacation. I was so tired <laughs> that I needed a day to just do nothing before I go back to work, uh, on tomorrow. <laughs> to do work right <laughs> yeah then you can get back then you can start your resting uh, that's what work is right. for after a vacation right. you gotta rest and recuperate so just a couple <laughs> of things i i want to say um uh, disney is a is an amazing place. i've never been right and uh, we talked about that before uh it's an amazing place but the people there are bold-faced liars just just being just know that again i've never Uh-oh. been there all right so um we're at Ep- epcot center and we're going on the spaceship ride. I forget what it's called. Space journey something. I don't remember. And uh, and I go up to one of the people and say, how intense is this ride? No, I'm sorry. It wasn't the space one. It was the test track, the the, the car test track thing. I say, how intense is this okay. ride? All right. And, um, 
I just need to know. Because my my old my ten year old is scared of everything. My seven year old's a bit of an adventurer, uh, adventurer, but she's seven, right? And I, I don't have mm-hmm. I don't know anything. And the woman says, "Oh, it's it's no big deal. It's just like a ride in the car with mom and dad." Okay, <laughs> don't lie to me, people. <laughs> that is a full fledged <laughs> roller coaster. I didn't know that going in, but you're you're out in this little. I mean, the car look happens to be shaped vaguely like a car. But you're still outdoors going 70 miles an hour around a bank curve. Um, that's a roller coaster by any other name. And, and, <laughs> and I took my four-year-old on it because the woman said it wasn't a big deal. And, and so, I mean, I had the, the four-year-old literally sitting at the, after it was all over, said, Mama, I think I'm going to throw up. The, the 11-year-old, the 10-year-old rather, who is scared of everything, I made her go because the lady told me it wasn't a big deal. So she hates me now because the scared of everything person, I made her get on a roller coaster. The seven-year-old uh, who likes that sort of stuff loved it. I loved it. Um, I, I thought it was great. But, you know, why lie to me like that? I'm thinking this is going to be like, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride or something like that. It's going to be kind of uh, slow and, and, and no, no. This is a full-on roller coaster. She should have just told me that. And then the seven-year-old and I would have gone alone and everybody would have been fine. Yeah. But instead, trying to be nice, I guess. So Disney people will lie to your face. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> but they they were polite and smiled to you while they were lying, yes, right? Yes. Okay. That, oh, that's the important then, thing. Then it's all okay. And one other gripe, just because that's what I do, right? And I'm known for ranting. There's this, this show uh, at uh, the Wild Kingdom. It's called It's Tough to Be a Bug, and it's the Bug's Life guys, right? You remember Flick from the Bug's okay. Life? It's yeah. Uh, all happy, and 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 then uh, Hopper comes out, the grasshopper, and and mm-hmm. he's all big and scary. And Okay, this is all totally appropriate. It's a 3D thing with, with animatronics and all that. And then um, Hopper sprays bug spray. It's not bug spray, but that's what they say it is, and the room fills with smoke, and you can't see anything. And then he says, okay, hornets, get to stinging. And then the little, this little thing in the back of the chair pokes you in the back. Okay. <laughs> Why the heck would you do that? Again, there are little kids in there. there there's 18 months. Half the room was crying when that was over, just Aww. bawling, into, including my four-year-old, just sobbing, frightened to death. Because she had just been told that giant hornets were going to sting her, and then something stuck her in the back. What the heck were they thinking when they built this thing? <laughs> That's horrible. Yes. I almost feel bad. It is the worst idea ever. But other than those two black marks, the Disney experience was was outstanding. So if you have little kids, so- don't go see the. It's tough to be a bug. It's not for little kids. <laughs> It's for what nine to nine and up? Maybe. I mean, not a scary, uh, a frightened nine-year-old. I mean, certainly nobody with a phobia of bugs. Um, because up until that point, it had been all cutesy, and there was butterflies and lightning bugs and yada yada, and then it just went mean. Just it took a turn down the the Franz Kafka aisle or something. I don't, I don't know what the deal was with that. And then they tried to recover from it. After, you know, they chase Hopper off and he goes away and then it's back to cutesy and, and happy fun time again. But by that time, it doesn't matter because 80% of the audience is in tears. 
<laughs> right. That's tough. Man. Yeah. All right. I didn't mean to go through all that, but I just it was it was but, on my mind. It was it was a good it was a good park good experience. experience and was was the the park nice and clean like I said it was going to be? You know, I was it was clean, but I was disappointed that um see I went to Disneyland years ago, like uh, 20 years ago. And the thing that amazed me about Disneyland is is all the support stuff is hidden, right? And they make a big deal out of that. Everything's underground or whatever. Several times I saw guys, you know, pushing carts of trash uh and things like that. And I thought, you know that I don't think if Walt were alive, I don't think he would have allowed that bug's life thing to be to happen, and I don't think he would have allowed us to see a guy pushing a big vat of trash around. Um, there, you know, the, there were things that that I thought were just they, they took you out of the moment, right? So you're on this reconstruction of the Sunset Strip uh, in the 1950s there at, at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's really cool. And then there's a guy, you know, uh, obviously, you know, dressed in janitorial whites, pushing like a 50 gallon barrel of trash down the street. And I thought, ah, that's, there's gotta be a better way to do that. Yeah. That's strange. That and the whole fast pass thing ticked me off. If you, the, you, the fast pass. Yeah. So fast pass, in case you don't know, you can go and you can get a, you basically get your waiting in line done early. So you go in, you get a fast pass, and they say come back at, at in two hours, and you can jump right in. So you're still waiting your turn. You're just doing it while you're doing something else, and you can only get one fast pass at a time. So I can't go get three fast passes and then jump all the lines. That's a fair system. I have no issue with that. But if you pay the money, you can get a fast pass bracelet, which is an automatic fast pass to all the rides. So then you're just a rich line jumper. And that made me mad. Yeah, it's like Disney loves you, yeah. but if you have money, they love you even more. Well, isn't that the usual case? If you have money, you're always better. But the fast pass <laughs> thing was fair. The bracelet isn't. It's just a way for people with money, and it's not cheap. It's a way for people with money to to work the system to their advantage, which you know yeah. is is not a very Disney like thing. It is a very capitalistic thing. But anyway. Other than that, how was the how was the the condo thing that you rented? Um, well, there's a there's a story there too. Everything has a story. Uh, it was a great. It was uh, it was a little tiny little place. You know, I guess people live like that. I I wouldn't want to live like that. Um, the the there was a stove and a kitchen and a microwave and and a refrigerator, but all of those things were in the space that's less than my stove is now. I mean, it was really, really crammed in. Wow! Um, but it's uh, it was like like I said, three beds, two baths, the the you know TVs, and it was it was nice. It was it was totally nice. I, I have no complaints about it. It's just that 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 thing, that entity known as a condo is a very efficiency-oriented, very small, very uh, maximizing-the-space sort of thing. And growing up in, in a succession of Texas ranch houses, it was just not anything I was accustomed to. However, mm. <clears throat> the last day, Friday, um, the, our last night there, we rolled out Saturday. Uh, I'm at, like I said earlier, Daytona, Daytona Beach. That was our last day there. And I get a call from the owner of the condo saying... Um, the cleaning lady's there, and you're not packed up. You're supposed to be out. What's the deal? And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That I'm not. I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm not leaving today. 
And she said, no, the contract was for you to leave on the 20th. I said, yeah, the contract goes through the 20th, the night of the 20th. No, no, no. You're supposed to leave on the 20th. So I, I'm, I'm getting hot with her at this point. And I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm on the phone. I'm on speakerphone. I pull up the email and, and I've got the, you know, thanks to the beauty of Google Docs, I've got all that. And it says right there, leave on the 20th. And I said, oops, sorry about that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> um, I'm I'm an hour and a half away. It's not going to happen. Sorry. Um, and she said, "Well, I've got other tenants coming in. They're supposed to move in today." I I, I feel bad. I really do. But it's not going to happen. So she apparently she had an she had another space she was able to put them in, and she charged me for an extra night. It all worked out really nicely, but I felt terrible about it because it was totally my mistake. Not only was it my mistake, but it was a mistake I made like in April. So for months, I have been planning to leave on Saturday when I had right. paid to leave on Friday. And it wasn't just an oversight. It was just I screwed up like on day one and compounded that screw up for six months of planning. Oops. <laughs> so the lesson to the story is, Reread your contract yes. and make sure yes. you make sure your everyone is on the right page. Because <laughs> I was, I mean, I was, I was getting hot with her on the phone. I'm like, "How dare you cheat me out of this? This is you're treating me wrong. This is not right." And then I had to back off everything I just said and said, "I am in the wrong. Entirely my fault. Sorry about that." Um, so it cost me an extra hundred bucks. Uh, totally reasonable. I, I mean, they could have stuck it to me a lot worse than that. Uh, but I had paid a hundred dollar yeah. security deposit um, that I was due to get back. She said, "I'm just going to keep your deposit." I said, "I'm fine with that. That's perfectly reasonable." Yeah, they could have stuck you for a lot more, and yeah, that was fair. I yeah. think that's you know good for them to for being a, a good person, a good business oriented customer yeah. service type thing. Yeah, so uh, it all it all worked out in the end, but it was. It was totally a screw up on my part, but yeah. Anyway, if you're going to Florida, I highly recommend uh, that uh, you do uh, a condo rental. There's lots of lots of places uh, like that. I th- the site I went to was called VacationRentals.com. Uh, I don't mind giving them a free plug, um, and it's just it's like mm-hmm. Craigslist for condo owners. So they put ads up, and and you go through the site. So there, I, I guess there's probably some vig that they're taking from it somehow, but, uh, they, they post their thing and you deal directly with the owner of the, the property. So it's a, it's a good, it's a great thing. And I certainly stayed for a whole lot less. I mean, uh, had we did, we weren't going to any of these places, but Disney, uh, excuse me, uh, SeaWorld was literally right across the interstate, like, Oh wow. A thousand yeah. feet away. Um, and, uh, uh Hollywood studio, uh, what is it? MGM universal studios it was yeah. like a mile down the road. Um, and we we ended up wow. having to go a long way. We were like three and a half miles from Disney, so it was right in the middle of everything. Um, and yeah, it was a great experience. Other than you know, I, Disney kind of screws you if you don't uh, stay in one of their properties because they charge you fifteen bucks a day parking, which is a little ridiculous in my opinion, considering you're already paying so much. Um, then they yeah. stick you again for parking. But no, the the condo thing totally worth it. Cool. Cool. That's good. So that's way more. I intended to say like three sentences about my vacation and it turned into 15 minutes. Uh, but I do want to say one thing. Last time we were together, I uh, um, made an overt plea for, for money. I don't do that often. 
Uh, but I want to say thanks to those of you who have responded. There's a, a couple of people who have who've kicked in some some cash, and one even one of them even said it's for Mark's new laptop fund. So uh, uh, thanks for that. Uh, my laptop is no longer being held together by a rubber band. Um, a good friend of the the network, Steve Cherubino, uh, formerly of the Podnuts Network, uh, lives in Florida, and I and he you know he doesn't do this sort of work anymore. But I knew he had the gear, uh, and I said, "Hey, Steve, I'm coming to Florida. Will you fix my laptop for me?" So he did. Charged me a reasonable rate. Um, I I dropped it off with him when we got there and picked it up before we left, and so now my laptop is working again. So we can Sweet. we we don't have to be. Uh, quite so emergency minded but still as i said a couple of weeks ago if you've been thinking about giving me money now's a good time to do it if you haven't you don't owe me anything but if it's on your mind now would be a good time to go ahead and do that and thanks to those who have very cool thank you elemental be faithful and now seth um tell us about the world of apple well you know i uh i have an iphone through work and, you know, since I'm in the tech department, I figured since they had iOS 7, I would go ahead and get it. And I've got to say, it looks awesome and fabulous if you're a preschooler. Um, it just, <laughs> you know, people said that about XP too, Windows XP. They called it the Fisher Price interface. You know, but all the previous OS or iOS upgrades I've been through, I've been like, eh. You know, it wasn't like I loved it or I hated it. It was just like, okay, that's more of the same. But now I notice that when I'm in apps, they lock up more often. I can almost just watch my uh, power percentage. You know, just by watching it, I can see the numbers go down. It goes down so fast. And it just, it seems slower wow. and more sluggish. And I know you have no choice because Apple tells you it's better, um, and you need to uh, you need to agree with that. But overall, it took the iPhone and it made it less attractive to me. So, way to go, Apple! You just pushed me further away from buying one for myself. Now, just to be clear, you waited until after general release, right? You're not dealing with a beta. No, no. It, yeah, I got the update with iTunes that said there's an update for iOS, you know, seven. Do you want to go ahead and do it? And I was like, well, you know, I'm in the tech department, so I need to see what it'll be like. So I'll be able, because almost, you know, we're a company of lawyers and every lawyer there has a company phone. And so I need to know what it'll look like and give myself some time to get acclimated to it. So yeah, once it, I, I didn't go looking for it, but as soon as it was offered, uh, I took it. Yeah, because this show, you never know when somebody's going to be listening to it, and it's it's relatively new. I just want to make sure that people right. know you're not complaining about a beta. So what uh, what what version of the iPhone do you have? 4S? Yeah, 4S. Okay, so the iOS 7 update on the 4S made your phone function poorly and use more battery. Yes. Yes. So it's... It, uh, it, and, I mean, I don't know. It, it just seems to look like it looks like a kid would look at this and go pretty but um it doesn't seem to look as good as it did before um and i know part of that is personal preference but like whenever i go through when i open up icons uh for the or when i open up apps they seem to take longer to open and i'll be typing in one and the cursor will just stop and it'll just sit there and all of a sudden, everything I was typing will just flash across the screen. I'll start typing again. It'll stop. 
and it'll just sit there and you know it's so i don't know what it's doing but it's uh it's not doing and i haven't tried siri again because she's pretty stupid but uh <laughs> All right. Well, but yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I do I think, not like it. I think what we're seeing is uh, the the waning influence of Steve Jobs. You know, he he's been gone a while now. He's been you know uh, he stepped down a few months before he died, and and uh, of course I'm sure was still uh, making his uh, preferences known. And of course after he died, um, there was there were things in the pipeline that that he had been actively involved in. I think we're we're just now starting to see things that have no Steve Steve Jobs DNA on them, um, and yeah, and I think that's why the sudden and rapid departure from uh, the slick, glassy, stitched leather look that they liked for so long. Well, and it looks to me like just looking at this, I would say that. Apple is no longer a leader in the uh, mobile field. It looks to me like they're trying to either like, uh oh, Google's gonna, you know, Android's gonna do something, we got to do something, or you know, ooh, that's what they did. Let's try to look like them. So before, you might not have liked the direction they were going, but you could not deny that they were leading and pioneering in the field. And again, I'm sure this is just personal preference, but to me, it's like they're not really a leader anymore they're just they're someone in the field they're they're like falling back to you know the field instead of being the trailblazer i'm not sure i'm willing to to go that extreme on them i think that we're seeing the maturing of a platform and there's only so many ways you can do things and the best ways to do like notifications or whatever are bubbling to the top and android comes up with some of those and uh, Apple comes up with some of those, and Samsung comes up with some of those, and and we're just seeing a homogenization. Uh, so I, while I agree that that Apple is not the dominant leader they once were, I think it's because there isn't a dominant leader anymore. Huh. Yeah, it could be. Oh, I, and it's it's also interesting to find out how many of these new platforms are going to come out. You know, like there's the Firefox OS phone, the Ubuntu phone. And mom, Joe's mom's phone, and all these other Migo. Distros. Don't forget Migo. <laughs> the zombie OS, yes. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with all when all of these start showing up in stores to see. Because you know the Firefox phone has me intrigued. You know, if I were to go buy a phone today, I might go that route just because I want to see it. Yeah. Well, and Nixie Pixel, she actually thought it was the best one out there. So. If, if you subscribe to her, that's the one you should get. And uh, the Android was? No, no the, Firefox. the Firefox I'm sorry. OS. Okay, I misunderstood. Um, what I think is interesting is is you're seeing companies trying to differentiate themselves even within like the Android uh, ecosystem. You know, Samsung is doing it with gadgets. The, the video yeah. pauses when you look away and the screen scrolls as you read and um, none of those are giant innovations. They're gadgets. But in in a world where giant innovations aren't coming anymore, uh, gadgets are how you distinguish yourself. Yep. And gimmicks. Yeah. That too. Um, Chris, what what <laughs> you you have an intri- intriguing line there in the show notes. Enough to make a grown man cry. 
Uh, good kick in the nads. Yes. What what was it? No, no. Um, I don't know if you guys have the same problem that I do, where uh, you get a, a when you get overstressed, you get a the back lower back. It's all nice and tight, and it hurts to even touch it. Or maybe I'm just unlucky, and I'm one of those souls that get that. Um, but I went and saw my massage therapist for an hour and thirty minutes, and you know. When someone gears on you for an hour and 30 uh, minutes, yeah, yeah. it's enough to make you cry. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned it uh, on the show. I may have or may not have, but a, a few months back, I went to a masseuse for the first time ever, and uh, it was an Asian massage parlor. No, not that kind of Asian massage parlor. And uh, <laughs> this little, you know, five-foot-tall, 90-pound woman walks in the room, and the first thing she does is hop up on my back, grab some handrails on the on the roof, and start digging her heels into my shoulders. Okay, so yeah. apparently that's how it works at this place. Um, but yeah, same sort of thing. It was, it was. I felt like I'd gone ten rounds with the champ. But then, did you feel better the next day? Yeah, it's worth it eventually, but there's a lot yeah. of pain in the in the short term. <laughs> so yeah, um, and see, I used to go uh, before life got hectic around here with my home business, but uh, I would go see her once a month, and then it wasn't so bad. But this is like six months between my last visit and t- and last week. So, yeah, I was all sorts of twisted up, and she put me straight. Now we'll see how long it takes to put me back into ouch again. <laughs> so was was it maybe Windows Eight that was making bringing you so much stress? No, no that that's a current one. Um, and I don't, you know, personally, I'm not a big fan of Windows in any form. And Windows Eight. I've already been on record saying I think it looks this it's one of the stupidest choices they've made but I've played with it enough now that I'm kind of competent getting around it but I have a machine in the shop that is absolutely driving me to the point where I want to start drinking when I look at it um it's got a nice I thought it you called up that like Tuesday a, <laughs> No 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 Tuesday's Taekwondo night so I can't oh, okay. drink on Tuesdays but um no, it boots up, and it's just a black screen with a cursor. Nothing else. No error message, no prompts, no nothing. Just a black screen with a movable cursor. And there's like a billion different things when I start looking on all the tech repair sites on what it could be. And it's like, you know, an error message would be nice. Yeah. But but research has shown, Chris, that users don't like error messages. The focus groups agree that users don't like error messages. Well, that's fine. But if you're a user and you break your machine, an error message, at least in a log that can be read somewhere, would be nice. It's like they pretty Microsoft. much took all the, the messages out of Vista um, and, and later 7, and they just made the machine reboot instead. Like, yeah, nobody ever yeah. reads these blue screens anyway. We'll just make the machine reboot. Well, and now you Why end not? up with a machine that is just black. I can boot it up right now and show you. It black as as night, and not a darn thing and on it, but a black, but a white cursor. Do you try any of the old things like you know F eight or save mode or anything? Oh yeah, you know, yeah, I, I can get into those modes, but yeah, I can get into those modes, but it just boots into a black screen <laughs> with a movable mouse. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, so. you know, it just goes to show you, you that that now is the time. To to look at Linux, because the 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 big guys uh, on the other sides are all stumbling, and so it's time and for stupid. the little upstart 
to to make his his way into the field. But the big question though is which of the many versions of Linux should you use? I don't know, Seth. I think you should use Fedora. Well, you know, I was going to announce this week which one the you know, there was a big vote where I asked everybody to go vote, and I forgot to mention it and put it in for the rebroadcast, so it only went out over the Etherwire one time. So I thought I would give everybody one more week to go into the forum post and chime in on uh, what I should put on my laptop that I have. You know, the specs are all in the forum post, and so remember, I want to get 20 replies um uh, so that way I can I can have a you know a good thing to choose from and see if there's an overwhelming um see if there's an overwhelming need from the community to torture me with some weird distro <laughs> or you know hear my trials and troubles through something this is your chance guys uh you know make the gooey kid do something so uh, my I'm vote, still uh, uh, my favorite vote so far has been for Hannah Montana Linux but I, I believe the uh the disclaimer was that it's not in a current state Right. And I remember talking about that one, uh, whenever he's obviously listened to like pretty much all of our shows because when he said, I was like, wait a minute. I remember vaguely yeah. mentioning that there was a Hannah Montana distro in, I think it was probably just some news story, um, or something. So <laughs> I, I, his post was by far the best one, but, um, come on guys. We need, uh, there's only, I mean, that and, uh, we need a few more replies, so jump in the forum post and tell me what version of Linux to run. I think right now the winning uh, winner is Arch um, in terms of the most popular support. Right. That could be. So uh, Arch, is, Arch is a good one. You know, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm giving the community a chance to speak. And since, like I say, I forgot to put... I forgot to attach the thing to the lead-in to the Boris Box episode. I figured I would give one more mention over the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so just hop over to the chance to vote. elementop.com, the forums. Uh, it's right there on the, the left-hand side of the page. You don't even have to go to the forums. There's a quick link to it under uh, active forums, and it's Make Seth Use Linux. I like the way you put that. Make Seth Use Linux. Drag the gooey kid <laughs> kicking and screaming into linux but you know one nice thing about it is there are no yearly license fees with linux uh yes um yeah i've because uh like i've mentioned earlier and before in the shows i i run a home business and i just had to pony up my yearly license fees for some of my programs and you know that hurts when you have to write out those checks and it's like well there goes that nice five six seven eight nine hundred dollar checks oh well and I'll if make you're it up in the about other end. Something like TechNet, for example, you, you're getting getting less for your money every year. Yep. Well, no, I don't. I don't subscribe to TechNet because I think uh, that some of that information should be just given to the community and not paid for. But no, the the couple of them were like my remote support co- software and and some of those things. So, um, but one of one of the programs that I absolutely love and will die if he ever stops using it or making it is d7 um but he has the lovely way of doing lifetime memberships so uh bring back the lifetime memberships and you'll have more people buy it i think that's that's a gamble though because you you're only, you only get money out of them one time ever uh and that's you have to you really have to have a perpetual stream of new people to make any money with that model 
Right. Yeah. But, you know, I think, well, in, see, with D7 in particular, I've been on, I've been using D7 and reporting bugs and everything else since early in, in the re- release cycle. I mean, I picked it up when it was a fraction of the cost he's offering it now. Um, so for people that have been in the system for a long time, offer them a lifetime because then, you know, that's payback for years and years and years of service. And uh, Seth, at least that's in my personal opinion. Seth, I believe you had some uh, uh, some football talk to go into this. Something about a sports ball of some sort. Yeah, well, you know, for a long, long time, I had maintained that the absolute worst way to watch a football game on television was the NFL Network because if there was one network that could not broth broadcast a football game and make you want to watch it it was the nfl network well i must say that while their overall quality continues to be low the lowest of the low now goes to cbs because i tried to watch the alabama a&m game uh not this not yesterday but the week before uh so a week ago and um, i thought i found it on tv it looked like there was these 11 guys from Alabama lined up on a football field against 11 guys from Texas A&M. But listening to the commentators, I realized that what I was watching was Johnny Manziel single-handedly taking on the entire state of Alabama for no less than control of Western civilization as we know it. It was, I, you know, somehow... He was in charge of the defense, and if Johnny Manziel won, he was either going to get to be president as soon as Barack Obama quit or star in the next teen series. And if Alabama won, Nick Saban was either going to be proclaimed pope or get to pick his religion to be the head guy of. It was just – it was I, – I, I had to turn the game off. I didn't find out who won until yesterday. Um it was just so bad. I, I could not watch the game listening to the commentators. And I don't call them commentators because they weren't really talking about football. I don't know what they were talking about, but it made the game unwatchable. So NFL Network, you can think CBS, you no longer have the worst broadcast of a football game ever. So, so are you telling I, I, me that their commentary was worse than Dan Deerdorf's brain damage babblings? Definitely, because at least he was re- trying to relate to the game. You know, you you might have thought what he was saying was stupid, but what he was saying had direct bearing to what was happening on the field. The, the guys from the guys from CBS, I I don't know. Like I say, Johnny Manziel, who may or may not have had one hand tied behind his back, was single handedly fighting the entire state of Alabama, and I, I couldn't tell if he was winning or not. So, um, yeah. The NFL Network, you are you are not the worst broadcasters of football in the history of the world. I apologize for having said that. There you go. I feel better. All right. Okay. Uh, just, just. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I've seen two Cowboys games this year, and they won them both. The one I didn't get to see, they lost. Just, you draw your own conclusions. But uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it might be beneficial for me to watch more Cowboys. There Once is coincidence, twice is a trend. <laughs> Three times is a streak. Uh, and, something like that. And lastly, something about air conditioning. Yes. Uh, so two weeks ago, just after our show was recorded, um, I come into work, and I. this is one of those moments where you have a panic because all of a sudden 
no domain credentials can be authenticated. Oh, that's bad. No traffic is going out of the internet, out to the internet. This is at 7 a.m. on a Monday. Um, so what's the first thing you guys would think of? Uh, check bad server. Yeah. yeah, check the network, you know, check switches, you know, that, the usual stuff. Yeah, that's what I did. So I went around, I checked all the switches, all the master, and all the, and all the switch rooms, and, uh, that, everything looks f- normal. And I open the door to the main server room, and I get hit with a wall of about 112 degree heat. I'm guessing because all my servers have, were running for two days yep. with no air conditioning. So in that particular server room, there are 12 servers running. Yep. And, uh, and who knows how many UPSs and, and disk arrays and everything else. It, it was, I literally had a panicked, fear <laughs> run across my body but yes so i ended up going two weeks with no air conditioning while we waited for uh the electricians to come and install the new ac units uh but now it is a calm and cool 65 i have my been there rooms. and done that and it is frightening and maddening but the that the place where i used to work it was a very small room like a eight by eight room and it was just packed full of servers and when they were building it i told them when they put that unit in there that air conditioning i said that's not going to be enough air conditioning to do the job they said ah we do this all the time i'm telling you it's not enough um uh, and i I even went and went to i forget what it was just some trade organization for heating and air conditioning and i looked up their specs for server room and they said that uh they recommend a maximum temperature of 62 degrees uh, for a server room and i said there's no way this unit will get even down to 62 degrees let alone hold it and I'm like, oh it's gonna be fine well it never it never got cold uh cold but it stayed it hovered around 80 which is not dangerous uh but certainly not where it needed to be but that's you know working at maximum efficiency and the one time mm-hmm. one thing went wrong and it always happens to be on the weekend right i walked in of Monday course. morning, same thing everything was down i opened the door, the doorknob was hot enough it burned my hand. That's how hot it was. Oh my god! Um, the um, uh, there was a temperature sensor uh, on the wall, an electronic sensor. I don't know how hot it got because it stopped reading at 140. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I don't know how hot our room was either because the thermostat, the it has a the mercury, not a mercury one, but it had a little dial one that is temperature sensitive, yeah. and it was buried. At the bottom of the hot side, in that the temperature there stopped at 115. Yes, yeah, so I got so all the way. I can around, honestly yeah. say it was 115 at least. Right. But yeah, it was like thunk, and then it was. They, they literally had to take the whole thing off and replace it because they couldn't uncoil the 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 thing again. So it was like, huh. And so we'll naturally, new air conditioners. After that happened, they came in and they took my word for it, and they replaced all the air conditioning. No, of course not. They fixed what was wrong with it and put it back in service, and it happened again um, a, a few months later, and then again a few months after that. I'm like, what's it going to take? How many thousands of dollars worth of equipment is going to have to melt before you finally listen to me? And I don't work there anymore, so I don't know the answer to that. But uh, <laughs> it's it's a terribly frightening thing when that happens, and you're a server admin. Yeah, at least for, for my server in my purchasing department, they actually said, well, what? do you need? And I said, I want the room to be 65 flat line. I don't want to see any variance. And they go, the electrician says, I have a machine that'll do that. And that's what they put in. 
Yeah, the guy so, the guy tried to tell me that he'd he'd have to put in like a a walk in cooler unit to do that. Okay, do it. I don't care what you have to do. Make it happen. Yeah. First of all, if you're lying, and second of all, if I don't care. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I promised you like 35 minutes ago that this was going to be a listener feedback show. So how about we get to some listener feedback? Uh, okay. And the first one is a we'll question rambling. directly for the command line godfather. Guillaume says, hello, Everyday Linux team. We're a team. Uh, I have awesome. a question more Woo-hoo! aimed toward Chris. I always wanted to be a team. <laughs> I have a question more aimed toward Chris, but uh, I would be glad to hear the opinion of anyone who cares. Do you take notes in terminal? And if you do, do you use any markup language to take them? I'd like to take notes in the command line and visualize them with some sort of formatting, bold, underline, if possible. Do you happen to know of a way to do that? I haven't looked. Uh, I have looked at Markdown, but I don't like it much. Writing notes directly in HTML is not that great either. Thanks for your help and all the good shows. Regards, Guillaume. Well, um, personally... What? I do take notes while I'm working in in my terminal, um, but I do it as just a uh, text file. Um, I don't use any markup language or anything else. I mean, if, if I want to make something, you know, important, instead of using a bold or an underline, I usually put a star or two in front of a, a note or a line on my note uh, in my my text file, and then that way, when I open it up later, I you know, it's it's my own little, I guess, code for, so to speak. You know, I use different characters to mean different things. If it's important, it's a star. If it's semi-important, it'll be a, a hyphen or some, you know, things according to that. And then, you know, I've I've actually had to hand over my notes to other people, and I had to put a key at the bottom so they knew what the notes with my little stars and asterisks and and hyphens and parents and at signs and ex and exclamation points and everything else. Um, so yeah, I really don't use any any program to do it. I just open up Vim and away I go. So um good luck. Uh, if you find anything that works really well for you, let me know. Maybe I can change my tune and work with something better. And Seth, you had a comment? I I was just in shock by why would you do that? Oh my gosh. I I can't well, you know, Seth- his questions, so <laughs> I would say he's probably working on a a server somewhere, and he wants to make notes of what he's done. So when someone comes in behind him, you can look at his his notes list, his note program, whatever he ends up using, and then see what he's done every day, like a a, a work log or something similar. Um, that would be my guess. Without any more information from him, I, we really are just stabbing in the dark. But that's. You know, I, that's the only reason I would see any need to take notes while you're in the terminal. Okay, I got nothing. Um, I got nothing. I I have <laughs> I have taken notes. I have used gedit. That's all I got to say about that. I mean, I've like taken notes on the machine I was in, and then you know maybe save that document across the network. But um, like in the command line, that's just weird. See, here's that's why I'm I'm struggling for this because. I'm I'm I, while I work in the command line even even in Windows uh, you know fairly uh, commonly I'm doing it from a GUI environment so you know I'm SSH'd in or whatever so I I would take my notes I would do whatever I needed to do in my GUI environment 
not in my remoted command line environment. So it sounds to me like he is at a machine, you know, keyboard and, and terminal in hand um, with no GUI to speak of, and he just wants to do everything in the command line. And yeah, I got nothing for you. Yeah, I mean, there there are there are programs out there that will do it, but I, I just don't, I've never seen the need for one. Um, whenever I just, because I usually work out of the home directory of whatever user name I have for that SSH. Um, and if I need to do something, I'll use the, you know, append command and I'll type in the, the note and append it to the file as I go. Um, but yeah, I, I'm at a loss. I, I don't know. Give us some information of what you're wanting to do that might help us help you. Because maybe you're just using the wrong tool for the job. All right. And so moving right along, Raymond has a number of things, some comments and some questions. Says, Mark, in regards to your issue about locking into WordPress, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, check the file permissions of the .php files in the wp-includes. Uh, and I'm not going to read the specifics there. Uh, I did check that. That wasn't it. Uh, something I had already done. Uh, good thinking. Uh, at least I like to think it was good thinking because I had already come up with it. Uh, but that that's not the problem. Uh, and also, he'd written in uh, previously uh, referring to Elville, Georgia. I uh, wanted to know if I knew what it meant. And he says, Elville is Lawrenceville, Georgia. The courthouse there has some history to it. I don't know anything about it. Hmm. Uh, then he goes on to say, SSH plus GNU screen is a nice combination. Just worth mentioning, Mr. Command Line Guru, since SSH keeps coming up. Um, I've already said that. Well, there you go. Uh, I've then, already brought up screen. <laughs> and in reference to my comment about how Google learned a new trick to uh, route around traffic, he says, due to uh, Google acquiring Waze, uh, Waze gets better Google results, uh, results and Google gets uh, uh, Waze's traffic reports. I've used Waze for over a year, but we shall see what Google does with it in the end. And there's uh, a link there to it from a TechCrunch article. Uh, and also, just because you mentioned Krispy Kreme Hot Now Lights, there is an app for that. Uh, of course. <laughs> he, he sends a link to it. And then he says, as my home router died, I was thinking of a Boris box replacement, but building it from, from scratch with about $200 in new parts. I just wasn't sure how to get the wireless radio portion of that going. So instead of doing that, I just grabbed something off the shelf to hold me over. So he's talking about a question he had submitted uh, regarding uh, how to make a wireless uh, Boris box. Uh, and then last thing, he says, so that I don't bombard you with another stream of random consciousness, keep up the good work. And what was the site you were tracking the progress of your coffee madness? Um, I haven't put much up there lately. In fact, it's there's only like four articles, and I just I got busy doing other things. But it's crazycoffee.us, uh, where I am tracking my coffee experimentation. C-R-A-Z-Y coffee.us. And moving on, Pete asked a question about RAM. He says, hi, so I realized after writing you an intro in your forums that my question might have been better addressed directly to you in an email, lest it be lost in the forum. So I figured I'll just copy and paste it here just in case. I'm okay with that, Pete. He says, hey, I've been it listening works. to Everyday Linux for like half a year now, and I dig it more and more the less you guys talk about Linux. Well, then the first 30 <laughs> minutes of this show are right up your alley. Yeah, um, buddy. 
I've been learning a lot of Linux for about a year and a half, and I'm partway through a bachelor's degree in IT focusing on sysadmin work. I'm a woodworker cool. now and looking for a career change. Uh, anywho, I love the Linux commentary and the tips and tricks, as well as the banter on bacon, coffee, and bad movies. All some of my favorite things. My current setup is CrunchBang 11 on a six-year-old wow. ThinkPad T60. Runs all right, but I wanted to ask if you guys think it's possible to run a distro like this in RAM and save persistence to a USB drive like is possible with Puppy. I'm just very used to CrunchBang and would like to avoid spending many hours learning how to customize Puppy. Is it possible to run any distro in RAM? Should I just try to run a persistent USB install? I read there might be issues with slow speed and memory management. Or should I be so bold as to roll my own puppy distro with a CrunchBang-like setup? What are your thoughts? Uh, so I will offer my thoughts, and I don't have a lot. I don't know if it's possible to arbitrarily run any Linux distro in RAM. I know there are distros that do it, but I also know there there's code written specifically to do that. Um, but as for rolling your own puppy Linux distro, that's actually really easy. You just customize it the way you like it, and then you can roll, you, you can click a button to, I forget what it's called, uh, to make your current setup into a CD or USB or whatever. So, um, like you said, that's not CrunchBang, it's Puppy, but uh, I can say that that process is pretty easy. And then I'll let the other guys comment. Uh, personally, I've never had any much experience with running a persistent uh, USB or running everything in RAM. Um, most of the stuff, though, in CrunchBang is supposed to run from RAM. Um, but I don't... Personally, I, I think you're better off running your machine, unless you're looking at maybe to, you know, using it for a troubleshooting machine or something. But um, if your machine's running great now, I don't know why you want to change the way you're doing it, I guess, this is the question. Uh, good luck. That's all I can tell you. Maybe if if you like CrunchBang, see if uh, uh about maybe doing a, a Linux from scratch that mimics CrunchBang. And just yeah, to break, I, just to break the flow a little bit, somebody uh, Vladimir de Lima said hi in the chat room. Just saying hi back. Okay, continue on, Seth. I was gonna say I don't really have anything to add. I don't know whether crunchy crunch bang could run off of ram or not so um i'm my thinking is be adventurous stray from what you know learn something new you may find you like puppy better than crunch bang so there you go hmm. and, uh, and that's that and andy decides that he wants to uh uh steal some of my thunder and provide a rant of his own Great Andy, bring it on. He says, greetings from Amsterdam. I'm very much a newbie to the Linux scene, and although I love it, I also hate it. Welcome to the club, my friend. I love the <laughs> principles and the ethics of Linux. I hate how it's artificially complicated by one major factor, namely geek speak. To the average computer user like myself, it's totally incomprehensible. I live in fear of asking a simple question on the many forums that are available. I can almost guarantee that I'm going to engage in a protracted cyber game of ping pong over some answer's terminology. Why, oh why, do they assume that we, the average user, know geek speak when the question is composed in plain English or whatever the mother tongue is? This should give a good indicator that our understanding of geek speak is limited, to say the least. Not only do we not understand geek speak, we don't want to have to understand it in order to get things done. 
providing us with a link to a site that only provides us with a different dialect of geek speak is not helpful. It's one of the main reasons many people just give up and go back to the drudgery of Windows or Mac. How many people get excited when they receive a reply from an expert or a guru only to find that their preferred distros are Arch, Slackware, or Gentoo? Before you even start to read your long-awaited reply, you already know it's going to be incomprehensible. When we receive a reply that starts, this can be easily achieved. Generally, this average user gets the cold, sinking feeling of despair because we know from past experience easily in geek speak doesn't translate to the average speak. It drives me nuts when I get an explanation that is full of geek speak whose complexity is only compounded, compounded by the truncated normal words or phrases and bloody acronyms. If you must use acronyms, please provide an explanation to what they are, bef- what they are before you repeat them. We just want simple, comprehensible explanations that get us on our way. My second language is Dutch. That was easier to learn compared to the geek speak. I know and appreciate that the help is provided is done with the best intentions, and I thank all of the guys and girls that are freely sharing their time and expertise. Really, you're superstars, and I tip my hat to your knowledge. However, from my personal observations, the reason why Linux is slow to gain popularity it so rightly deserves is the persistence of geek speak as the lingua franca for for instructions and explanations. There appears to be a distinct lack of competent technical authors in the Linux world. What documentation there is also, although comprehensive in its content has the capacity to send the average computer user into a coma or complete cranial meltdown within five minutes of reading technical authors. We need your help. Please apply your local to your local distribution Linux distribution. Many of us, myself included, also need pictures drawn in crayon as complimentary visual aids. Well, fellers, that's my rant. It's been building up for a long time and I already feel better for it. I'm relatively new to Linux and I cut my teeth with LMDE cinnamon, but have recently migrated to the slick minimalism of Crunchbang 11 Waldorf. It's absolutely stunning and a great distro for any adventurous newbie or expert alike. I shall shall now retire with a fine pot of Dutch coffee. Dutch blended coffee is delicious. And the cinematic wonder that is Sharknado. Thanks, guys, for the podcast. It's something I look forward to each week. I've noticed that there's far too much Linux talk creeping in. Very worrying. Keep up the good work and rant on. Yeah, you won't be saying that after you listen to this show. (laughs) That's all I got to say, Andy. (laughs) But, oh, uh, that, it's hard to follow that one. That uh, uh, Andy, we've we have said those very things. In fact, that's the reason this show exists. Uh, we wanted a show for everyday people so that they could understand and, and comprehend it. And we try, um, I, I try anyway, to keep the jargon as as limited as possible. And when when the command line Godfather goes off on something, I try to bring him down and translate for you um, because he thinks it's normal. People like that, they think they are speaking plainly. They're just that smart. So, uh, and, 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 or just that used to it. Right. And I honestly, I still believe sometimes you just make up letters and throw them out there. <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion oh. that sometimes you just like throw out, yeah, if you go to the DRM and then you drop in a command line in LXCE, <laughs> I was just like, just throw letters together. You like have a, random letter ger- uh, generator website that you keep open in a window. So I totally get you, Andy. I'm right there with you. On a slightly related note, I once uh, had a teacher in college. There were, I think, 140 people in the class. And uh, one of the assignments was to write like a seven-page essay. 
And I, was, I knew that this teacher, one teacher, was not going to read seven pages from 140 people in the class. So I put like a whole paragraph about, I bet you're not even reading this. I could say whatever I want to do. I could make up facts and you would never know it because you're totally not reading this. And he never commented on it. So I'm betting he didn't read it. So I think that's exactly what, what, what like, after your eyes have glazed over and that uh, your cranium has melted, as Andrew uh, puts it, uh, they start just making stuff up because they know you're not going to listen. <laughs> and that, that makes people seem smart when that happens. So it's possible, but I try not to go too geek speak on everybody, but I, I've been known to, to slip every once and again. And now we have a bit of listener feedback in the form of a voicemail. I've been asking for voicemails, and we have one uh, from our old friend, the noob in residence, Aaron Butler. Oh, awesome. Hey, EDL, this is Aaron calling uh, in regards to episode 104, I believe it is, the discussion about the Verizon network extenders. Since you mentioned mine by name, I thought I would jump in real quick and give you a little more detail in case somebody's interested. My house is a Faraday cage. Um, you can step in my driveway and make a call, call with four bars, step inside my garage, and it's dead. So I bought a network extender, and Chris is exactly right, 250 bucks. <clears throat> Plugged in with the Ethernet cable into my Comcast modem. And, uh, and, and like Mark says, it's basically, uh, my phone radio, just like any other cell tower connects to the full tower, looks like a regular access point sitting in my office, at which time it, I guess, converts it to VoIP, sends it over the network, doesn't go to a regular tower or anything locally. My friend Kenny actually says it goes to Alabama to a central switch location. Works great. Never really had any problems with it. Um, uh, it does, just so you know, if you ever, on Verizon, and you go to make a call, and when you go to make a call, it goes doom doom, or you call, look on your phone, you see a little house up in the top, uh, toolbar, or in, you know, header bar of your phone, you are on somebody's own network. That's what my phone does. Uh, it, it takes its hands off out great, so I can leave the house on a phone call, but it does not pick up. So if I'm driving up to the house and drive into the garage, it drops, it won't switch to it. Um, but anyway, that's it. Network, uh, network, extender uh, works great. Um, I don't think I'm in any danger of being hacked simply because nobody from outside can get to it because I am in a Faraday cage. You'd have to come into my house to hack me. Um, anyway, just thought I'd call and say howdy. So, howdy. That's actually a really good point that, uh, you know, we were talking about the fact that uh, there was a security flaw that had been found in those devices. Um, but the the point is the only reason you use one of those is because you don't, have good reception where you are so maybe it's not such a big deal after all i looked into that for at&t uh because where i live in a house there's like two rooms in my house where you can get signal and the rest of them you're on your own um and what i found was i don't know if that's the way verizon does it but when you're on this device plugged into your own wi-fi um it's using your data minutes so, like, if you have uh, a three gig data plan, and you're on this device connected to it, running over your broadband, they're still charging you data. And I thought that's ridiculous. Why? That that makes no sense at all to me. But then again, that is AT and T. Go figure. Well, it makes perfect sense because it's a way for them to get more money out of you. Yeah. Well. I guess if you look at it like that, if you're not interested in providing value in any way, then yeah, it does make perfect sense. But okay. Any other comment on Faraday cages and 
access points. No, not really. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on. Brian says that I am too shy. Me. <gasps> too shy. Well, not really. Those are my How words. dare he? He says, uh, I've been listening to Everyday Linux for several weeks now. Welcome to the club. Uh, while listening to one episode, I started wondering, who is this guy who does most of the talking? What's his name? Well, I went to the website and looked it up, and now I know it's Mark Cockrell. But you won't learn this from listening to the show. Most of the time, Mark introduces Seth and Chris, but then the conversation gets going, and he never says, my name is Mark. It's probably just an oversight, and I don't know that it's very important, but Mark, you might want to add that to the intro. Uh, well, thanks, Brian, <laughs> but there's it's not an accident. Um, as you said, I do most of the talking, and my name is all over the website, and if you look at the uh, um, author uh, information on the podcast or on the mp3 it has uh, chris's name and seth's name and my name so i i just never felt the need to say and my name is mark cockrell plus i've got one of those names where the the last sound of the first name and the first sound of the last name are the same so i only have one name mark cockrell um so i i try (laughs) to avoid saying mark cockrell uh, because it sounds weird but uh, that's my name i'm mark um, I will try to remember to say it more often. Um, honestly, it's I know that I play uh, a bombastic character on the show. It really is a character. Uh, in in reality, I'm actually a very shy person. Um, that's a total lie. Uh, <laughs> but but I'm a, I'm yes. I'm a modest person. I don't uh, I don't like to blow my own horn. So uh, I just never it's not really too loudly it's really not something that i thought i i don't mention my name enough that never occurred to me but i'll try to be more cognizant of it in the future well and also brian we've never come up with a good nickname for mark that's true like i'm the gooey kid and chris is the command line godfather so we've tried some stuff but nothing's ever stuck so uh until we get a really good nickname you know and i'm the big cojona mark or something like that so uh you know it's just the big cheese it, it <laughs> yeah it, nothing is stuck yet so that's kind of why there's nothing to introduce him as mark you know he doesn't say this is seth he's like the gooey kid seth so so maybe you can help there uh brian what do you think a good nickname for mark would be there there have been suggestions in fact there was a forum thread a couple of years ago about that i think uh, uh pork chop uh, was one that uh, Sean wanted to go with. Uh, <laughs> frankly, I wasn't too fond of that one. Um, and then somebody else I mean, suggested The Voice, but I don't know. Uh, that that seems a little cheesy. Then again, the whole show's a little you, cheesy. Yeah. When you were the tightwad tech, it was, you know, the tightwad in chief fit right. good, but the tightwad in chief doesn't fit in everyday Linux. So there would be, you'd have to explain that every week. Right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of you probably don't know if you if you only listen to this show and you've only been listening for a few weeks. This is not the flagship was not originally the flagship show of the Element OP network. Uh, originally, there was a show uh, called the Tightwad Tech that uh, my coworker and friend Sean Kybel and I did. Um, and uh, Everyday Linux was an episode of the Tightwad Tech starring Chris Neves. Uh, and we yes, liked sir. that so much, we we launched a whole separate show of it. And so when at that time, it was just the tightwadtech.com. Um, once we launched the second show, we needed a network to call it. 
So Element OP Networks was born. I had that uh, domain name I, I've mentioned before. I have a sickness for domain names. I have dozens of them. And I liked Element OP. It was actually something I was doing for a whole different project at one point. Um, and so we went with Element OP Productions and the two shows were the Tightwad Tech and Everyday Linux. And then over time, more and more shows got added and then more and more shows died by attrition. And right now, Everyday Linux is the only show on the Element OP network. That won't be always be the case. There will be others that will come and others that will go, I'm sure. Um, but right now, you're listening to this and you only know us as Everyday Linux. But really, I was known first as the Tightwad in Chief from the Tightwad Tech. So uh, that's when it was Mark and Sean. I, and I, in fact, I ended every show with this is Mark signing off. So I said my name literally every show. Um, and when I started this one, I didn't really see the need to because everybody already knew me. But now obviously I have to shift my thinking because there are a lot of people who've never heard of the Taiwan Tech who listen to this show. Yeah. Maybe we can start calling you Mark the Chief Car Cockerel. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that kind of works. It breaks it up. I, I'm, I, I know you don't believe it because of, of the way I am on the show, but I'm actually a very humble person, and, and I shy away from titles like that. Uh, so I'm never going to be comfortable with any of them. That's not to say I won't use it. I just, I'm never going to be comfortable with it. I'm just Mark. That's just me. <laughs> Your humble host. Uh, okay, moving on. Alex comments on a story we did a while back about the yeah. first... Um, um, Linux malware in the wild uh, called the Hand of the Thief. It was a, a malware specifically designed to attack uh, online banking sites. Uh, and Alex says, hey guys, a few episodes back you covered a commercially available web exploit targeting Linux users. I just found a link and he puts a, a ZDNet link in there that I'll put, uh, put in the note notes. Uh, reporting that the hack, quote, smells like smoke but has no fire. The hack apparently was based on an old Chrome bug that has long been patched. So sleep easy. Thanks for the comment, and I love you guys. Wow, that made me feel awesome. He loves us. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. It's um, great to be loved. And yes, that it, it was a Chrome bug, but it also affected all the browsers, um, all the major browsers for Linux. So, uh, yeah, Chrome fixed it early. Uh, I think Firefox got it shortly after Chrome did. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been fixed. So we don't have to worry about it now. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't have to worry about it again later. So yeah, standard disclaimers apply. Don't do stupid stuff with your computer. Plain and simple. And Alex and I had a little back and forth. Uh, I went to his website, um, which he had linked to in his email and he had a, a portion of his blog or of his website for like friends and things he liked. And I wrote back somebody who loved us might put a link to our show on that section of the website. Just say it. <laughs> and, uh, and he wrote back and said, message loud and clear. And then it turns out we share um, a love of obscure Christian hard rock music. So um, we had an interesting banter back and forth. I, I say that to say this, that when you send me an email, I do read every one of them. I don't always reply back and have a conversation like I did with Alex. Um, but uh, if you say something, if you ask me a question, you're going to get an answer. That's That's my promise to you. You may not like the answer, but you may get one. <laughs> Buzz off, kid. You're bothering me. Um, and then uh, lastly, is it lastly? I think it is. Yeah. John. It is. It's the last one. John says, we don't rave enough about the Linux Academy. What? 
We don't rave enough. <laughs> what? How is that possible? He says, hey, guys, I love your show, but I just wanted to make a quick suggestion. I signed up for the Linux Academy based on your recommendations, and it is awesome. In your plugs for the site, you don't I don't think you mentioned that paying uh, for paying subscribers, they release the outline and notes for each video, which is very handy. If you forget something and don't want to watch the entire video again. I've done this on multiple occasions when I've just learned a command and forgot what an option does or the exact name of it. Uh, just a quick note. Love your show. Keep doing what you're doing. John. I didn't know about that, John. Anthony doesn't tell us about everything that he does, probably because he does so darn much. Uh, but apparently there's an outline for each lesson, which is kind of cool. So I'm guessing, I haven't seen it myself, um, that it uh, has a time code that will tell you that at this point he talks about this. So that's kind of handy. Uh, and what yeah. better opportunity to tell you about the Linux Academy um, that John has provided us. Uh, Linux Academy is is designed to be your one-stop source for a Linux education, plain and simple. They have over 200 training videos. I think the website today says 217. And I have to check it periodically because they're adding constantly. Um and you get uh, your own Linux lab uh, with up to eight different uh, distros that you can run in the clown, uh, cloud, in the clown, that would be messy, in the cloud on Amazon services. So uh, you have your Linux server and you can work on the server while you're watching the video and you can multitask, you can actually do what they're talking about. And you can pause the video and you can try it and you can experiment with it. And if you host something, no big deal. It's a virtual machine. You just wipe it out and you start over again. So it's a totally safe learning environment. Along with the videos, they have PDF study guides. They have the the outlines that uh, uh, John mentioned. Uh, there's also a lesson browser so that you can pick and choose the lessons you want. And then a new feature they've added called modules. What they've done with modules is they've grouped a series of courses. So uh, they they started out with lessons. Then they grouped the lessons into courses. Well, now they've grouped the courses into modules. So you can pick a module, for example, the uh, LPIC 101 module, and it'll pull, pull up all the courses that you need to take. And those courses have not just the videos. Uh, again, that's how they started, but now it's videos and it's quizzes and it's uh, uh, the PDF study guides and it's all those things all laid out in a logical format. So you can track your progress as you work your way through the course. Uh, and once you're done with each of the courses in the module, you should be able to do Whatever the over whatever the objective is, so the LPIC 101 and 102 um, modules. By the time you're done with those, you should be able to take the test and pass it and get your certification. How do they know? Because people have done it. They're doing this stuff in the real world. People are taking these uh, courses. They're they're taking the tests. They're passing it based on the knowledge that they learn from the courses. Um, so this is real people doing real lesson, uh, real lessons for real learning. Uh, and the new thing that they've added is uh, an intro to Linux module. So this is for the total newbie who wants to learn about the history of Linux, who wants to learn about uh, where it came from and how it came to be and why it's different from Windows and, and Mac and, and Solaris and all the other things. And, and it even is gain, uh, aimed at uh, running Linux as, on your desktop. So most of their stuff is server-specific. But this new intro to Linux module is desktop specific. So it's designed to take to do what we do here on this show, to take a newbie and make them comfortable running Linux on their desktop as their everyday machine. How much are you going to pay Very for cool. this amazing, vast knowledge? 
a pittance. Let me tell you. You get 14 days for a buck. Throw a dollar at Anthony. Just pick it up, throw it at him. Okay, maybe PayPal would be easier. Um, and he'll give you 14 days. And all you can eat buffet of learning for two weeks for a dollar. You can try everything. You can download everything. There's no limits. There's no uh, restrictions to what you can do for your dollar. It's a, it's, it's a, it's not a crippleware. I hate those things where you can, you can do everything but print, for example. No, it's none of that stuff. It's all there. You can try it out. And if you like it, and you know he knows you're going to like it, that's why he lets you do it. Um, you can sign up for the whole month for only nineteen dollars. Nineteen dollars a month for these for these videos. PDF study guides, uh, uh, modules, uh, quizzes, and and tracking, and all of that sort of stuff for nineteen bucks a month. But it's it's not over there. If you buy two months, he'll throw in a third one for free. So you can buy a quarter for thirty eight dollars. Thirty eight dollars a quarter for some of the premier Linux education on the internet. When you go there, and I know you're going to uh, use the code Everyday Linux in the referral box and let them know that we sent you. I mean, it's worth every penny, honestly, honest and truthfully. Uh, it's command line approved. <laughs> and GUI approved. Wow. How many things are both command line and GUI approved? Uh, now, most of their stuff is not GUI centric. It's It tends to be mostly uh, command line stuff, but they lay it out in a way that is uh, accessible so much so that the GUI kit approves. Yes. So Seth is, as the hair club guy used to say, he's not only uh, uh, the president, no, he's not only a, a show, he's a customer. What? I'm screwing this up. Be witty for me. Hurry, go. <laughs> I'm not only an advertiser, I'm also a subscriber. And uh, if you're looking at his haircut, you might think he needs the haircut for men, but no, he shaves it like that on purpose. I hate long hair yeah, on myself. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I... I like short hair on me. I would totally shave my head if I could just do it once. I could just shave if I could just you know remember back in the eighties the uh, the uh, the Will Rogers Sportatorium World Class Championship Wrestling they had hair matches and you they supposedly had this gel this foam stuff that was going to permanently remove your hair and if you lost the match they they they'd take your hair remember that gentleman Chris Adams wore a mask for like 8 months because he theor- theoretically had no hair if i could get that stuff if i could lose my hair forever <laughs> i would do it i would shampoo with that thing and be done with it i don't want to mess with my head ever that's why i don't shave it because i have to keep shaving it so yeah, you uh-huh. uh, you shave your head and then you go to the laser place where they, uh, you yeah. know, like uh, like women do for uh, what is it like you know leg hair removal and stuff. You just do it on your head. I'm sure that wouldn't be expensive at all. No, well, no, I mean, no. You didn't mention price. You just mentioned <laughs> uh, only wanting to do it once. Well, that's true. I remember, my my start in podcasting was as the Tightwad Tech. It's built right into the name there. All right, and moving on to, my gosh, a a slew of Linux news that there's no way we'll be able to get through, or this will be a four and a half hour show. Um, let's start with the fact that Linux is going to save computer gaming. Dun, dun, dun. Well, at least that's what Gabe Noel says. Uh, he's the founder and current, uh, let's see, the co-founder and managing director of Valve. Uh, Valve is that huge company that put out Steam. Uh, so yeah, they're they're saying that 
because Windows is being such a hog and has so many bugs and issues and everything else that Linux is going to take over. And considering it was so much easier to uh, make their one of their you know flagships uh, Left for Dead, uh, that's a pretty big, pretty big game in their in their pocket. Um, but they once they moved it over and got Nvidia to start really fixing their drivers correctly, that it performs better in Linux than it does in Windows. Um, so this is a a complete talk that I linked to. Um, it was done in let's see the on the sixteenth. Um, at a at LinuxCon, and he's saying and how how much better Linux is to to code for when it comes to gaming on Linux, and he thinks that eventually it will take over, and there will be games for us and Linux. And some of those games might come in the form of the humble indie bundle. Yes. Yeah, you know, we like to mention this every time it shows up. Um, Wednesday will be the last day you can get it, but there are several games out there. And I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't really play a lot of computer games that aren't like, you know, solitaire or browser based simple things. But if you're, if you're into gaming, there's some really good ones you can get and you can do the, um, indie thing and support charity and show them that Linux users do pay more money, um, than other people. So. There you yeah, go. As of bundle nine is out, and as of right now, as of the time of recording, uh, the average Linux is seven dollars and forty-two cents is what they're paying, where Windows is only paying four dollars and fifty-five cents. So, and go I think Linux, that if we I are, remember correctly, that's been the case since the every humble indie bundle began. The Linux yep, users every, have always paid more. Yep, every time yep. they've always donated more money. Um, this particular bundle. Has some really great games in it. Uh, Mark of the, there's Mark of the Ninja, Brutal Legend, which is a huge double A game, uh, trying to, and then there's a couple of other ones that come in as a bonus if you pay more than $4.84. Um, I can honestly say that out of the, the games in this bundle, I already own one, two, three, four, five, six, six of the ten games that they're offering. Um, and I would glad, and I have gladly, Rebought probably all of those games three or four times now to support this project. Um, they offer really great charities. Uh, this year, uh, this particular bundle is Child's Play Charity, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and Watsi. Uh, all three are great, great charities to donate to. So even if you don't want to play the games and you want to donate to a good charity, those are some really great charities to donate to. All right. I think that's everything there is to say about that. But while we're in the subject of gaming and Linux, the Steam Box is coming your yep. way. It's not just a rumor anymore, people. Yeah, uh, they are planning on Monday at noon, I believe, to actually make an announcement. And you can go to, um, I, I don't remember the exact website because I linked uh, store.steampower.com slash living room. And they have something that, to me, looks like it's going to be part of at least the front of the Steam box. And has of the recording of this podcast, in 15 hours and 37 minutes and 32 seconds, there will be some announcement. So, yeah, because, you know, I was just thinking the other day, if only there were some console I could get to take gaming out of my computer and put it on my big screen TV. And luckily, Steam is going to uh, fill that void. 
That's a great idea. How come nobody's ever thought about that? A box of some sort that you hook up to your TV. Maybe it has controllers uh, independent so you don't have to use a keyboard and mouse. What a great idea. Man, I should have thought of that. It'll be interesting because Sorry. this is supposedly one of those great things that are coming. Um, I'm really curious to find out how well and how many more games they're going to they're gonna push to have with what they call steam-powered so that way you could play them on your computer and then take them into your living room and play them without losing your game saves. And uh, the rumors are that it's, be, it's Linux inside. So, uh, you know, that just, yeah. that all goes together that, uh, the, you know, as uh, uh, Michael Larable was telling us when he was here, the Foronics guy, uh, right now, um, Linux is got some of the best performance uh, in some categories. Um, not everywhere, but it's it's really getting there. Yeah. Right, it's 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 a great time to be a Linux guy in, in the world because things are jumping fast and people are, and big players are starting to uh, donate again to Linux. So uh, the, this is an IBM donation to Linux as the next story. Um, they're uh, they're committing a hundred one billion dollars to fuel Linux and open source um, innovations. So that's that's an awesome donation, and I. I I'm curious to find out how much more big players come in to donate. Yeah, and it's interesting. You think IBM, you tend to think has been. You think oh, they had their time. They said IBM is still a freaking huge company. They're doing just fine. Thank you. Um, oh, yes. And, and, They're a monster. Uh, probably 20 years ago, they pivoted uh, into the middleware sort of thing. They don't sell you your desktops anymore. Uh, and they they sell you your servers. And not really even the servers, but the software that you run on those servers for big data. And they've put a pretty big investment in Linux, and that's continuing. A billion dollars uh, to the Linux uh, open source fund. That's all. That's not. Yeah. That's no small amount of money. No, that's that's no, awesome. That's quite a bit. I mean, if you said, "Hey, Mark, you want a billion dollars?" I wouldn't say no. <laughs> yeah, just saying. You know, a billion <laughs> here and a billion there, and pretty soon you're talking about real money. It starts to add up. Um, all right, stop me if you've heard this one before. Intel proclaims this the year of the Intel of the Linux oh, desktop. Really? Yeah, this is another, another year. Um, yeah, this is another speech that came out of LinuxCon. The the thing about this one is this isn't some I mean, of course he's a Linux evangelist, but he's an Intel Linux evangelist. You know, Intel which forever was known as Wintel because uh you know, they sold out for everything Microsoft and Windows. Um they're making waves and they're, you know, I mean, I don't, is this going to be the year of the Linux desktop because nobody else makes desktops? I don't know, but it just see, it's really cool. I think that you have this major company that has been tied and wedded at the hip to Microsoft for golly, almost 20 years is now they're like proclaiming and at least, you know, they're, they're not giving up on Microsoft by any means, but now they are admitting that, hey, you know, Linux is good and it's where a lot of innovation is happening and it's making big waves. And in a lot of ways, it's more the future than Windows. So, you know, and of course, I mean, the headline, the year of Linux desktop is here. Um, I mean, you know, it would be awesome if it was. I don't quite think it's there yet, but um, and even if it was, doesn't matter anything anymore because the desktop is i don't think it'll ever go away but it's 
it's not the field in uh it's not the dominant computer field anymore so ibm gave linux a billion dollars intel is committed to uh, linux being the os of the future how about argentina how do they fit into that yeah argentina has just announced and it was kind of picked up at a story and of course you know a lot linux is getting a lot of play in the news man there was so much news this week because linux con has just happened and so you know everybody's throwing linux stories out there um it really there's not a lot in english um on this story and you know my spanish is relegated to uh getting cooks to make their mcdonald's burgers correctly <laughs> don't um, style banyo yeah, yeah. lechuga mustasa <laughs> rapido you know that's i don't know many more words than that um but you know so but this article argentina is looking for a development that can be used uh for in the state provided education computers but one that kind of um uh, it meets the needs of students and teachers and maintains a national identity. So I just think it's pretty cool that, you know, here you have a country and, you know, and it, it's great for them because they're not paying any software licenses to anybody. They're making it and it's a great way to kind of jumpstart their national infrastructure. And if they're going to make it and maintain it and everything and I couldn't um maybe um Harayu Linux which is based on Debian might be the basis you know probably be one of those things that'll start out has a skin of something else and then maybe morph into its own thing. But go Argentina. Yay Linux. So IBM's putting a billion dollars. Intel is is uh, gearing up and and st- is saying they're going to stand behind it. Argentina is staking their reputation on it. But who's actually contributing code who's actually making this thing called linux anybody is it just regular everyday folk not anymore no yeah um, anymore you know the single largest entity is red hat which you know that would make sense seeing as how red hat linux um but you know one of the things we talked about last year or and these things don't come out necessarily every year but the last time this study came out we pointed out how big of a contributor microsoft was to the linux kernel well now they've kind of fallen off because they like wanted to make sure hyper v drivers were in there and now they're like okay we don't care anymore but um you know there's still a lot of individuals who do it has their spare time um but it's becoming more and more people are doing it because their employer is paying for it like google is a contributor Samsung is a contributor. IBM is a contributor. Um, you know, and it's not so much that there's an employee who works for IBM who does Linux, but IBM is pr- paying for somebody to help code the Linux kernel. Uh, you know, Red Hat Intel is paying for somebody to help code the Linux kernel. So Nvidia, there's a lot of money. Nvidia submitted yeah. more code than the Linux Foundation. Think about that. Or AMD. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's amazing to see all these different companies that are putting stakes. I mean, they're not big stakes, you know, 4%, 3%, 1% uh, uh, total changes, but that's still a big deal for them to be putting someone, someone's time and, and blood into this, into the Linux kernel. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens in a couple more years. If, you know, say somebody else comes up out of nowhere, you know, Bing. <laughs> Microsoft comes back onto the list, but uh, it, it's in, it's very interesting to see. 
Oracle. Yeah. Wow, I would never thought Oracle would have been on that list. Uh, you know, it's people who it sometimes makes strange bedfellows. You know, because Oracle is antagonistic in a lot of ways, but um, um, you know, not so much. There, you know, and and a lot of like Nvidia, for example, uh, and like Seth, Seth was talking about for Microsoft, they're contributing code for their own purposes, but. Who cares what their motivations are? The fact is, they're making it better for all of us. Right. And that's that's an important thing. All right, that's enough about kernel news and all of that. Let's talk about some malware. But this is different malware. This is hardware malware. Yeah, this was a very interesting story. Um, researchers determined that they can slip an undetectable Trojan into Intel's Ivy Bridge CPU. Um, you know, and this was done under lab conditions and it was, it, I really hope you take the time to read this story because you can't really quote it because you got to talk a lot of stuff that just doesn't translate well to being read to. You should read it yourself. But basically through, if someone has access to the development of a chip, all they have to do is change um, a couple of hundred transistors and it takes the built in um, security keys that are generated from like 128 bits to like 32 bits. Um, and of course, you know, if you only have 32 bit security, that can be broken very, very easily with, uh, it doesn't really take any CPU power today to do that. And you can be done in such a way that you could not notice it short of, uh, it would just make it really hard to notice. So, it's only proof of concept and it's not like, oh my gosh, I can't buy a new computer anymore. But it was just, uh, it was just an interesting story. And, you know, we talk a lot about security and stuff on this show. And I just thought this would be a great one to throw in there just to have people read. Um, let, let me take a stab at breaking this down for you. So what's, what's okay. unique about the Ivy Bridge is that they have, uh, true random number generators, uh, cryptography. Encryption in general is all built on generating numbers at random, large numbers, really big numbers. Um, and up until now, all we've had are pseudo-random numbers. We have an algorithm that produces numbers in a way that is deterministic but not predictable. So uh, it's going to produce, given the same amount of, of information, the same number every time, but you feed different things into it. So you um, you feed it what's called entropy. Like you can, if you're programming something, you can feed the number generator um uh, the current position of the mouse exactly on the screen in X and Ys, plus the current temperature of the hard drive, plus the current uh, electrical load of the CPU, plus the current um, brightness of the LCD screen on the laptop. Those are things that are, it's almost impossible to get all those things exactly the same every time. So you get really good random numbers, but they're not truly random. They're pseudo-random. They're, they're almost random but they're really good. Well, the Ivy Bridge introduces like quantum mechanics in there. They they have uh, transistors, they have devices that are they're measuring the vibrations of like the 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 hard drive as it spins, things like that. They're they're truly taking absolutely random data, the magnetic field around the computer uh, and they're crunching all that in there so that you get real random numbers. Well, what these engineers have discovered is that they can hack that. Um, but like Seth said, it's it's really hard to do. You can't take a chip that's already been put 
uh, onto a die in a motherboard. You're not going to pull a shelf, uh, a computer off the shelf at Walmart, hack it, and put it back into the service. You would have to to get in the process of the manufacturing. So you'd have to put a mole at Intel. Uh, or Foxconn or whoever's making their boards for them on the line, and you'd have to hack them in a specific way. So, you know, it's it's kind of much ado about nothing, but at the same time, it's interesting because it can be done. And if you can reduce the strength of those random numbers, you make it a lot easier to guess at the encryption later on. So well, that- And also, I was going to say the tampering is... Um, there's a it there's a it's a technical term but golden a term that's applied to an integrated circuit known to have not include malicious modifications well apparently this tampering is undetectable to that so you can have something that's been certified golden which means untampered with but it had been tampered with and you just couldn't tell it so the thing that would make you know there's a lot of probably fear of the unknown as much as anything uh for the like the the general public in the united states has concerned to china well if you were going to play to that fear and this is only an example but the chinese government slips someone in intel's factory and they do this modification on an entire series of these chips and so they've just weakened the security of all the computers in america because all these chips have this weak level of security now instead of stronger and again i'm not saying there's any evidence that china's done that that's just trying to put an example out there that you might could understand yeah it's it's interesting but but don't reach for your tinfoil just yet right Uh, but keep it handy (laughs) <laughs> yeah, keep it nearby. It's okay in the drawer rolled up. You don't have to yeah, form buy it a roll. yet. Yeah, yeah buy but- a roll. You might not have to wear it, but you need to own it. And in the just bizarre categories, smartwatches are the new thing. Well, people are trying to make them the new thing. They're not actually the new thing. Nobody actually is buying smartwatches. Nobody actually making them the new thing, but everybody wants them to be the new thing, including Nissan. Nissan. What? Yeah, I uh, <laughs> what? I mean, hey, if Nissan is making a smartwatch, they got to be they got to be in. I, I don't know. <laughs> it looks cool. The computer generated mock up of a thing that doesn't actually exist looks cool. Yeah, Pretty much. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but would but you still have to tie it to your phone to have it do anything. So, I don't know. I I just have a hard time believing that this is the the new best thing coming out is a smartwatch are, are we going back to dick tracy I, well it's not even dick tracy because you still can't talk to it very well um, yeah you know and there's that it i've said this before it's all about interface i'm a big guy with great big sausage fingers and i don't want to be i mean my four and a half inch phone screen is too small i don't want to be doing it on a on a three quarter inch watch screen um <laughs> But, you know, I've been wrong before. Once or twice, I know that's that's hard to believe, but it has happened. So it could be that this is just going to take the world by storm and everybody wants a piece of it. Everybody keeps saying that Apple's going to produce an iWatch. Everybody but Apple is saying that. And so right. companies want to get in before Apple dominates the market. I I don't get it. But anyway, yeah. Nissan, we know them as a car company, but Nissan is is a lot more than that. They've been a technology company for a long time. And they're going to be making a smartwatch. Whatever. Good for them. We'll see. Yeah. Or they've at least announced it. So since they've announced it, it doesn't matter if they really do it or not. 
that is apparently the nature of things now. Exactly. You seem to announce something. Once you get the uh, the newspaper, or once you get us talking about it, I mean, the, uh, Achievement Unlocked, it's been talked about on Everyday Linux. That's I know that's what their marketing department set out to do. Right. So um, we've talked before about patent trolls, um, and now an entrepreneur is taking the fight to the patent trolls with what other, uh, nothing else, uh, what, nothing, without a lab, that about. You go, Seth. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin O'Connor, which is find the best um, CEO, Kevin O'Connor. He's been, you know, patent troll said, oh, you're infringing upon our patent. That will be $50,000. And he goes, I Ooh. could pay you $50,000, but instead I'm going to pay $1 million to lawyers and is trying to uh, apparently, and he's hitting them with a the racketeering lawsuit. So uh, he's one-upping the patent trolls by trying to uh, bring a racketeering lawsuit against them. So I am hoping, um, I'm kind of hoping he wins. Um, go, Kevin. You've got the Element OP Nation behind you. Uh, the link will be in our story notes. It's just a cool thing because apparently they first, uh, once they heard it, um, they offered, uh, they said, Oh, if you're going to sue us, it's not 50,000, it's 85,000. But then once he actually brought the motion is like, Oh, well, maybe if you'll just give us 30,000, we'll drop it. So I don't know how it's going to go, but I, I, I kind of, I want to be able to kind of keep a, uh, keep my ear to the ground on this one. And hopefully the Rico lawsuit will, um, go, uh, will go through and it would be cool if it wins. And the patent troll's lawyer accused the man of a hate crime. Said filing this racketeering lawsuit was a hate crime. Wow. Yeah. The only thing They're Kevin reaching. doesn't have. Yeah. Unfortunately, Kevin, you know, he's white. So he's a white guy. So if, if anything else, and, you know, he probably haven't one up. But go, Kevin, go. You've got our support. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not a fan of frivolous lawsuits you know and and answering a frivolous lawsuit with a frivolous lawsuit is you know that's not the case of two wrongs making a right but at the same time get him sick him boy you know i <laughs> the the high-minded idealist in me thinks this is this is just frivolous and shouldn't be happening should be messing up the court's time but uh but the you know the the brawler in me says i want this guy to go down uh, somebody's got to stand up to these bullies that's all they are they're just intellectual bullies and somebody's got to stand up to him and say no no more and uh kevin o'connor he's got some money behind him and he's willing to to put it up so awesome it's uh yeah definitely go kevin go shoot and i guess should we start breaking out the banners again for free kevin because uh <laughs> <laughs> we we might need it or maybe uh help kevin maybe and uh right right along with it our this week in history um is uh is germane to the topic yeah, um, I'm sorry. My uh, Google Plus page just crashed that I had it open, and I don't know what's going on. But but anyway, today, September the 22nd, um, what year was it? 1986. Yeah, I'm doing that one from memory. Um, a federal judge ruled that c code 
used to control computers or other electromagnetic devices could be copyrighted. So copywriting software was ruled, um, I don't know the right word there, but was legally upheld. So not patenting, but copywriting software was legally upheld today, the day of the podcast, 1986, during the sesquicentennial celebration that was the 150 <laughs> years of Texas. <laughs> So, wow, that's a true texting whipping out the sesquicentennial celebration. Um, <laughs> they, they even had special license plates in Texas for that for the year. Um, hundred, yep, I was, uh, yeah, I was involved in, uh, I was involved in, uh, the Dallas Historical Association did this thing, Lone Star Adventures. People did tours of, uh, Fair Park and historical. You would pop out of some place and you would play a historical person and talk about them. So I was the cannon boy at the Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> the cannon boy at the Alamo. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, but yeah. remember, I was only like 14 at the time. Right. So this week in history, software copyrights became a thing, which sort of led the the way to where we are today it's what a mess we're in and uh, hopefully we can fix it um i hope so we'll hope it it can't well i'm not gonna say that i started to jinx it i'm not gonna say <laughs> that um so we'll Just move remember on it's a statistical certainty that at some point somebody will trip over uncommon sense yes it's the law of averages they can't keep going this incompetently forever uh oh, i don't I just, know about that i i just think the bottom is still a lot farther down um okay moving on to our tips of the week and chris's command line tip of the week is crickets. nothing <laughs> sorry um here let's steal some thunder from the earlier one screen since evidently you didn't listen to the show when I said it last time, Screen is an awesome program. It allows you to pick up where you left off and allows you to share your terminal session with somebody else. Screen is awesome. All right. And Seth, <laughs> what, what bizarreness have you got for us this week? Um, again, I'm trying to get back in, but if you go to cityofpi.com. P-I, uh, not P-I-E. Yes, yeah, cityofpi dot com it is awesome because it goes the it's like the first million digits of pi listed out and say um, you want to know what a specific digit is like mark pick a number between one and ten thousand uh eight thousand seven hundred sixty three okay the eight thousand seven hundred sixty third digit of pi is nine so if you go to cityofpi.com slash and you type in a number, it will tell you what that digit of pi is. <laughs> wow. That's nuts. I just thought that was great. I wanted, I, I just, the reason this came about, me and my coworker were talking about the episode of Star Trek, you know, where the uh, computer was inhabited by that being and the way Spock got it out was among other things, told him to compute pi. Um, you know, and because it was an irrational number, the computer couldn't handle it. Um, and so he was, he remembered it being something like the 3,076. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure. And so anyway, talking about that, well, <laughs> I had to go to the website and look up, well, what is the 3,076 digit? And then I came across this website where now all you have to do is, I wonder what the 4,587th digit of pi is. Well, it's a four if you didn't know. So you can't impress everyone. 
and know what the whatever digit of pi is. Cityofpi.com slash whatever digit of pi you want to know. Everything about that story is awesome, by the way. The fact that you remembered that episode, the fact that you had another geeky friend and was arguing about the episode, the fact that it drove you to this website to find the answer to settle the bar bet between you and another geek that were talking about a 60-year-old TV show. Everything about that story is awesome. And so check out cityofpi.com. <laughs> cityofpi.com. Oh, it's, that is it's awesome. It's not backyard uh, uh, Ferris wheels, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, man, that's I. I'm trying. There's just <laughs> nothing else out there that I've come up with. You know, uh, uh, besides building your own roller coaster, building your own amusement park backyard. Um, I just, I'm, I don't know, man. That that's the best one ever. Oh well, there was the one you did a while back. Was the like the plans for how to build your own starship something like that that was a good one <laughs> yeah oh yeah or the i like that one or the midget hiring that was a good one too i like that one <laughs> rent rent a midget i think it was <laughs> yeah yes. yeah yeah rent a midget.com i i thought that was nice but oh yes we do that okay so <laughs> If you've got a weird site you want to suggest to Seth, if you've got a question or a comment that you'd like us to read on the show, or you just want to say nice things to or about us, you can do all of those things at elementop.com. Also, be sure to check out the bad movie forums. The traffic continues going there. My my Netflix list is long now because of you guys <laughs> recommending these terrible movies, and, and I think it's awesome. Keep it up. Um, it, <laughs> I'm not even going to talk. Just you just go to the website. You have to see it. Elementopi.com. Click the forums. Uh, go to the bad movie uh, uh, feed there. There's there's awesomeness happening there. Also, you can send us an email if you'd prefer to do it that way. EDL at elementopi.com. That will go to the three of us. We will all see it simultaneously. Uh, or you can uh, do what our good friend Aaron did and dial 559-IMOP from any phone anywhere in the continental United States and Canada. And maybe Mexico, I don't remember. And Google Voice will dutifully record your message, and we will play it on the show. Always you can get in contact with us, and we love it when you do. This is your show. This is user-programmed radio, and uh, we like to hear what you have to say, uh, be it good or bad. As I think I um, have a good track record there of showing not only the good but the bad. When somebody uh, has negative to say, I put that on the show as well. So uh, we do listen to you. And uh, we want you to to let us know what you think over there at elementop.com. Also, you can find us on Facebook. There's not much there. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, and at Google Plus, we're there too, and Twitter. But really, the place to go, elementop.com. That's where we really live. So check us out there. Guys, anything further before we say goodnight? Just goodnight. Remember, go tell me what version of Linux to do. Yes, yes. Make Seth use Linux. Yeah, uh, so, let, let's make him cry. Let's make him cry. Nah, 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 nah. Sorry. <laughs> we oh. need ten posts at least. We're we're up to, we're at ten, so we need ten more okay. as of the recording date. So bring it. Um, all right. So thanks, Chris, Seth, for being with me. My name is Mark, in case you didn't hear. 
And uh, we appreciate you <laughs> listening. Uh, and uh, go and tell all your friends about it. Go you therefore, uh, pseudo. Go and tell your friends. Uh, go if you happen to be somewhere near a machine that has iTunes on it. Look us up there, rate us and review us. We appreciate that. Um, and uh, you know, spread the word. That's how you can best help us. And if you uh, you or somebody you know would like to advertise on the show. Let us know. All those contact uh, options that I mentioned earlier would do that. I would certainly take your money and uh, rave about you uh, because that's what you're paying me to do. So uh, thanks, everybody. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Licks. Everyday Licks.